is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, September 22nd, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana, and Taylor Schwenk is working from his home in Connecticut, where he's locked down since he broke his foot. How are you feeling, Taylor? We're surviving, Buster, and I, I truly mean that. It is, it is day by day over here. But, uh, you know, we're, we're getting around the house. You know, I'm working again. You know, I basically was off for the last two days just trying to sort my life out. There will be some more sorting in the next week or so. But uh, just happy that it's a Friday and I can chill for a couple days as I try and, you know, figure out my life at the, at the moment. Well, Taylor, here's the good thing. If you're feeling especially low, if you're thinking that, you know, you're going through a tough time uh, in, in your life, just imagine this. You're not Stephen A. Smith on Thursday because he had a tough day. This was Stephen A. on with Chris Carlin on radio yesterday talking about his forthcoming first pitch at Yankee Stadium. Give a listen. We cannot be in that same conversation. That, that is correct. Beyond tonight, that is correct. I yes. got a reputation. A I got a reputation to uphold, and you know, I'm trying to. I'm, I, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to remain. I'm trying to remain sexy. You know, I've lost the weight. I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. I'm trying to have my sexy on. You know, the whole bit. I want people to see me. I'm gonna be wearing my Derek Jeter jersey. El Capitan. El Capitan. Nice. Derek Jeter, my all-time favorite Yankee. My brother. I got to show up, man. So I, I understand what's at stake, you know. And I gotta, I gotta look the part, and I gotta be the part. But that's what happens when you represent yourself and you represent the worldwide leader. It ain't like I'm working for somebody. Else. I'm working for ESPN. So I understand that I got that too. This is not Tim Kirkchin or, or Buster Olney or somebody. You know, this is me. Now I love those guys. Brilliant, brilliant baseball minds. But damn it. I got to do better than what I think they would do to. I mean, I, I'm just carrying the I'm just carrying the load. Wow. Whoa. All right. Buster. So this is how it. Well, we'll get to that. This is how it went when he was threw out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium on Thursday night. This just happened at the stadium. Stephen A. Smith, the ESPN, throwing out the first pitch. A lot of conflict. That's a confidence strike going confident. to the top of the mound. Very confident, there, Jack. But as we've been told by Jack Curry, it is not easy throwing a strike from the top of the mound. The catcher looks like he's about the size of a quarter. <laughs> oh. He, oh. One hop. Oh. Oh. Well, if you're playing stickball, that oh, would have worked out. Oh. That's the pitch you throw when you try and oh. induce a swing and a miss. Like David Cohn, right, says try and bounce one in front of the plate. That He bounced it in front of the plate. I'll give the pre-pitch routine <laughs> an A+. Plus. A lot of swagger going to the mound. Took rocking the Jeter jersey. It all looked good until the actual release of the ball. And Stephen A., I feel for you. I've done it twice. Once, I think I threw it 59 feet, so I beat your 48-footer there. Yeah. So Stephen A. bounced the ball, and Jack Curry there was being generous 48 feet, it went like 40 feet, okay? <laughs> and all I'll say is, because he brought Tim and me into it, okay? I've thrown out first pitches four times in my life. I've never bounced the ball, okay, Taylor? About <laughs> that, that was terrible. Oh, my God, Buster. I mean, I, I had no I, I was aware of this pitch here, and I watched it and, you know, giggled to myself a couple times last night. But good lord, that's a bad one. And for your for you to be four for four on first pitches, what what a feather in your cap, Buster Olney, the clear winner in this bout. 
and I don't know what Tim's statistics are. I'll ask him on Monday. I'll follow up. But I oh, guarantee yeah. you he didn't bounce a ball 20 feet in front of home plate the way <laughs> Stephen, Stephen A. did last night. Oh, so let's go. And, and for him to invoke Tim and me, right? I mean, just to drive by both of us, it was like, really? What are you doing here? What's oh, Taylor? Oh, my God. You need to be on first take today. Well, let somebody call Hembo. Well, you know what? It's some. I might have to get him on next week. Stephen yeah, A. coming I, on the I think podcast. So. Yeah, I think and he'll come on. He's a nice. And guy. you know what? To to call him to task. Okay. Yes. He owes. All right. You. Let's get to the baseball for today. Uh, the Chicago Cubs are fighting for their playoff lives. They went into uh, play on Thursday with a half game lead for the last playoff spot. And man, in Wrigley Field, they played a. Terrible game. Defensive mistakes all over the place for a team that's actually really good defensively. It was 5-4 top of the ninth inning, and the beleaguered Chicago bullpen let them down again last night. Palacio swings and sends one deep to right field. Suzuki back, and Palacios does it again. What a miracle player he is. That from 93.7, the fan, the Pirates beat the Cubs. Eight to six. Now the Giants are also in the wild card race. Yesterday they play shortstop Brandon Crawford on the ten day injured list. The question going forward is: Has Brandon Crawford played his last game? He's thirty six years old. He's had this phenomenal run with the Giants, but he's going to be on the injured list. It appears for the rest of the year. Now, when the game started, the news got even worse for the Giants. On a two two, Martinez swings, pokes a ball, a deep right field. Yastrzemski's going back. That was Joe Davis, Oral Hershiser, and the Dodgers Television Network. The Dodgers beat the Giants 7-2 at the end of the night. The Giants three games out in the National League wildcard chase. We've got the Giants and Dodgers on Sunday Night Baseball coming up. We're going to be talking about that with Carl Ravitch. The Phillies and the Mets, and this Nick Castellanos made an amazing play the other day, throwing out a runner at home plate uh, against the Atlanta Braves. That was on Wednesday. This is what he did on Thursday. 1-1 pitch. Castellanos blasts it. Deep left, and the game is untied as Castellanos hits one off the facing of the second deck. What a bomb for Nick. Number 28 on the season. It's a four-RBI night. Phillies lead it 5-4. to four. It was Scott Fransky on the Sports Radio 94 WIP. The Phillies beat the Mets 5-4. to four. The Phillies clinch a playoff spot. It looks like they're going to be the number one wild card seed in the National League and maybe wind up hosting either the Diamondbacks or the Cubs. The Rays facing the Angels. The Rays still in the race in the American League East. And Isak Paredes hide the game in the bottom of the ninth. 1-2 to Paredes and a little soft liner. Going to drop for a base hit. And Basabi scores. Paredes didn't hit it all that hard. But enough to get it over the infield. Over the head of Neto. And in front of Gritchick out there. And the Rays have tied this game. That was Dwayne Stats on the Rays television network. That rally continued. A one and two. Swing soft looper, shallow right. Dropping quickly. Rays win. It's a base hit to right for Manuel Margot. And the Rays score two in the ninth and beat the Angels five to four. That from 620 WDAE. Now, after the game, news broke. Jeff Passan on top of it. 
The Rays are calling up top prospect Junior Caminero. Uh, he just turned 20 in July. He's batting 324, 384 on base percentage in the minor leagues. The Rays looking for a little jolt of talent as we go down this stretch. Before the Blue Jays game on Thursday night with the Blue Jays trying to fight uh, for a playoff spot in the American League, they announced that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has right knee inflammation. He was not in the starting lineup yesterday when the Blue Jays took on the Yankees. Early on, the Yankees took control of this game. Driven deep to right field. If it's fair, it's gone. It is gone. See ya. A long home run. 3-0 Yanks. It was Michael Kay on the Yes Network. The Yankees had a lead with Garrett Cole on the mound. But he can see that swing and a miss. Nine strikeouts, no walks for Garrett Cole. A brilliant seven innings. It's time for the seventh inning stretch. It was kind of an ugly ninth inning for the Yankees, but they hung on to beat the Blue Jays 5-3. to three. The Yankees uh, trying to avoid their first losing season since 1992. Some other notes, the Brewers' J.C. Mejia was suspended 162 games after having a positive PED test. This is the second in his career. He's a 27-year-old reliever. And the Detroit Tigers hired Jeff Greenberg as their new general manager Thursday. This is the year after Scott Harris was named head of baseball operations. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. All aboard. It's the Ravi Train with Carl Ravitch. Carl Ravitch, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball. And this Sunday night, we're going to be in Los Angeles for the Giants against the Dodgers. Carl, with the Giants fighting for their playoff lives. How are you doing? When are you going to get out there? I'm a, well, I'm going to get. I'm getting out there Saturday afternoon. I'm very concerned about the Giants. It's just, uh, it's just kind of sad where they are as they approach the finish line. It's kind of like watching freeze run against everybody else you know it's close it's close and then in the end they just run out of gas and that's the feeling you have about the giants right now going into uh you know the last couple of weeks of the regular season they've been freezed <laughs> yeah and it'll be interesting to see if they have one last stand you know with these games in la especially with the dodgers uh you know playing out the string maybe not as much juice on their end because they're lining up their pitching staff and i know that's going to be a big part of our conversation on sunday night how are the Dodgers going to generate enough pitching once the playoffs begin? Carl, I assume at some point you've thrown out a first pitch, yes? 
I've thrown out a first pitch. Yes, I have definitely done that, and um, I've gotten it to the catcher every single time that I've done it. Uh, I can count on one hand the number of times I've done it, but I need more than one finger. So I've thrown out a first pitch four different times. I've never bounced a throw to home plate. And it's Do you like know somebody karma. that's bounced a pitch? Do you know somebody that's bounced a pitch? Yeah, as we played at the top of the show, Stephen A., he didn't make it two-thirds of the way to home plate, Carl. What's up with that? Well, Stephen A. has, uh, you know, has a fondness for his peak of his baseball playing, which was Little League. So from 46 <laughs> feet away, he threw a strike. And that's what I love about Stephen A. Because, you know, I love Little League baseball. Stephen A. loves it. And that was his ode to Little League baseball. Way to go, Stephen A. Oh, man. And you know, I, I'm i going to have Tim on the podcast Monday, and I'll ask him about uh. his first pitches in the past. <laughs> but you and I both know that Tim Kirchin has nailed his first pitches. You and I both know that. There are certain things that Tim Kirchin takes more seriously than other things. One is being a great teammate. That's That's first and foremost in Tim's list of priorities when it comes to almost life skills. Is he or she a good teammate? That's first. Secondly, it's the people that claim to be really good athletes and downplay those that aren't. He can't stand that. Tim is a great athlete. He doesn't make a bad throw. In fact, he gets very, very upset if he were to throw a ball slightly offline. Forget about an errant throw. Slightly offline. Uh, he's he's a bit of a perfectionist and takes those things to heart. So, no, Tim's never made a bad first pitch, uh, on, barring some weather-related incident, and I'm sure he could deal with that too. Now, Tim K is a he's an athlete. You're an athlete. I'm an athlete. Stephen A is a little league athlete. It's all good. We all have our roles. I love where he's at. Oh, man, it was karma. Stephen A. drawing Tim and I into this conversation and then bouncing it. I, I, I got to say. We'll, we'll uh, maybe hear from Stephen A. next week on this. All right, yesterday at Wrigley Field, man, what a brutal loss for the Cubs. Back-to-back days oh. of brutal losses. And, man, uh, you know, the uh, hallmark of this year's Cubs team has been their defense. They made all kinds of mistakes yesterday, and their bullpen just seems completely worn down. They wake up this Burn. morning in a flat-footed tie with the Miami Marlins for the last playoff spot, Carl. I didn't think they'd get to this point, to be honest. I thought the Cubs were going to roll into the playoffs. It's very hard to figure out, although having done the game we did last weekend, um, you know, when you're dealing with teams that, that are in these wild card races, it does sort of strike you like a hammer does a nail. Well, there's a reason they're in wild card races and not running away with divisions like the Orioles or the Dodgers or the Braves or playing like the Rays. There's a reason. And the reason is, is they're very inconsistent. They have good periods and they have bad periods. And there's, there's a lack of, there's a lack of dependable frontline starting pitching. Um, their defense has generally been the thing that has carried them along with the pitching. If one of those two things happen to have a bad week and they're, they're not scoring because that's not what they're known for, then they're in trouble. And that's what you're seeing. And it's hard, I think, for inconsistent teams, and this is going to almost sound redundant, but it's hard for inconsistent teams to win you know, consistently because they have these flaws and 
Arizona has flaws and currently playing really well. It's very difficult for those teams to take off and get on long winning streaks because they're inconsistent. They don't have the depth, the quality that these other teams that uh, we're talking about do have. And that's why they're a 500 or just above team. It, it makes sense when you don't want it to make sense. It, it, it's frustrating when you're close and yet you can't finish it. And that's, uh, you know, that's what makes these types of periods really hard to take for the fans of those teams. Cubs this weekend hosted the Colorado Rockies in their last home games of the regular season, and then they go on the road and finish up with three games in Atlanta and three games yeah. at Milwaukee. And it's very possible, depending on how this all plays out, that they would face the Brewers in those three games next weekend and then face them in the first round of the playoffs. It all depends on whether or not they can scrape together enough wins to beat out the Marlins, beat out the Cincinnati Reds. All right, uh, this is what it sounded like on Wednesday. Nick Castellanos of the Phillies making a great play. Didn't start today. Fly ball, right field. Castellanos is over. Near let foul go, territory. Go, what should go. he do? He makes no. the catch. Coming home is Williams. The throw to the plate. It's a beauty. Yes. He is out yeah. at home plate. What a throw by Castellanos to get Nick, uh, get Luke Williams. And that, of course, was the sound of Tom McCarthy, play-by-play man on the Phillies broadcast with her old friend John Cruck. And it was a phenomenal play by Castellanos. His play, the Phillies play, is worth talking about today, Carl. But you know that I played that in part because her old friend John Cruck, his reaction. Don't catch it! No! No! Yes! One of my favorite broadcasting groups out there. And uh, Tom is great at what he does. And yes. Cruck, you could, you know, I, I love the analysts that you can always hear in the background. With this, they're usually making sounds more than they are words. Like, oh, 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 Cruck. He does the beautiful part about Crucky, and the thing that amazed me most is there's nobody who loves the game more. There's also nobody who uses salty language more than Cruck, and not once in his life have I ever heard him throw one of those words out on the air. It never happened in all the years we were together at ESPN. I've never heard it on radio. And again, I, I, I plead, I don't listen to every one of their games, but it is a remarkable feat that my guy, Crucky has never done that on, t- on TV and or radio. And he was outstanding with his description of Castellanos. And look, Crucky's a coach. I mean, you, you know that just like I do. Yeah. Crucky is a, he is a coach and whether it's softball or baseball, you know, he's thinking along the lines of a coach the entire time. And we've all heard coaches with the no, no, no. Okay, good. Yes, good. Crocky's beautiful. And I love Castellanos after the game talking about a voice in his head telling him, yes, <laughs> catch the ball, make a throw home. He hits the home run on Thursday. The Phillies have clinched the playoffs. And I want to remind everybody as we get closer to the playoffs, it's Carl Ravitch who picked the Phillies to win the World Series this year. And they are gathering momentum. I look, at Braves will go into the playoffs as the favorites to win the World Series but the Phillies continue to be really dangerous. Carl, uh, this weekend we begin this uh, series of games with the Texas Rangers and the Seattle Mariners. They play seven times in the last ten games. The Mariners also have a three-game series against the Astros right in the middle of that. It does feel – I don't know how you're handling this when you do radio and people ask you who's going to come out of the American League. The way I – what I've been saying is that I feel like this is a steel cage match – 
It's Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Two teams enter, Rangers, Mariners. Only one team is going to survive this. And I do think there's an inherent scheduling advantage for the Astros and the Blue Jays uh, because one of these teams is going to get beaten up. What do you think? What I say when I'm asked on radio, and I am often asked, you know, who do you like and how's this going to play out? I'm very honest with them, and, and it kind of goes back to the Cubs story. In this case, both of these teams have had stretches, and they have had longer winning streaks or times where they don't lose that's different than those like the Cubs or the Diamondbacks where you, you just feel like, you know what, this is a capable team. Uh, there are tiers. There are tiers of teams in baseball this year. There are tiers every year, but there are tiers this year in which you have your prohibitive guys uh, that you know are going are gonna to be competitive and have a real chance to win the World Series. Then to me, there are teams like the Phillies, and there are not a lot of them that I think are capable of winning a World Series just by having the Bryant Snicker seat at the table. Then there are these other teams, Texas, uh, Milwaukee, um, Seattle, Toronto to a lesser degree, partly because of the Manoa thing, that I, I don't think are going to win the World Series, but it wouldn't shock me if they do. And then there are the other teams that I just don't think have a chance to win the World Series that get into the playoffs. When it comes to the Mariners and the Rangers, I do think that the schedule hammers the Seattle Mariners more than the Rangers. Um I happen to look. I love I love Texas when they're healthy. I really do. Um, you know, and obviously the Garcia injury really hurt them. But again, I would tell people I don't know how that plays out. I just think the schedule is too great for Seattle to overcome because of Houston and the fact that all three of these teams are virtually tied. I do give the advantage. If I were to give give a ranking, I would put Houston one, Texas two, Seattle three. Okay. Uh, we got about two minutes left. I want to run this past you. Story came out in The Athletic about the New York Mets and what went wrong this year. Uh, and within that, you have this really interesting quote from Tommy Pham, who, of course, was traded to the Diamondbacks in the middle of the year. He said, out of all the teams I played on, this is the least hardest working group of position players I've ever played with. And he went on to compliment in the piece Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso. Uh, and so that has is being processed in the last 24 hours within the Mets organization where they're asking each other, okay, who is he talking about really? And you and I both know Francisco Alvarez, the rookie catcher, who's in the conversation probably for finishing second in the rookie of the year voting. Everyone raves about his work ethic. So you would assume Tommy's not talking about him. Brandon Nimmo has a great reputation. Mark Canna has a great reputation. The way that this has landed within the Mets organization, Carl, is that he's basically talking about Jeff, or Jeff McNeil and or Daniel Vogelbach. And I got to say, and I love Tommy. Tommy's a great guy. I'm not a fan of these sort of sweeping condemnations because there's collateral damage in that. Because, okay, if you were hoping to land a, you know, that thought to land with a, you know, a McNeil or a Vogelbach, who we may have been talking about, you know what? It also sort of indicts the coaching staff, including Buck Showalter, including Wayne Kirby, uh, you know, uh, Jeremy Hefner, uh, their pitching coach. And I know he's talking about position players, but on and on and on. And you're like, I, I, I just if he's got something to say about Jeff McNeil, then just say it. Thing about Tommy Pham, which is usually what I think a lot of people respect about him, is he will speak his mind. Um, and this is a to me, this is a case of speaking half your mind. <laughs> like yes. you say, the throw the blanket over 
is kind of, you know, you're, you're half footing it a little bit. And I, you know, I like Tommy. I think Buck Showalter has told us time and time again, he likes yes. his work ethic. You know, he's a good teammate. He's a guy that he's, he's sort of Kyle Schwarber light. He tends to find playoff races or they find him. So he's a fiery competitive guy. We, we know that from a variety of different situations in his career. But I, I do think that a statement like that does, to your point, and I hadn't thought of it that way, but it does speak negatively on those that are charged with making sure you're getting the most out of your players. He's implying that, I don't know, look, if you just told me that statement on its surface, I'm thinking he's trashing you know, pretty much the entire team. I, don't then go compliment certain players. It's the team. You just said it's, a, it's an attitude. They don't work hard. Well... Who, who's they? What, what does that mean? I understand. I understand your point, and I do think it speaks uh, negatively on on guys like Cora and Showalter and Hefner, like you pointed out, Kirby, that are that are really you know those those guys to me really are as good, good as people any they, who are known for their they're, work. They're, they're baseball people. <laughs> they are baseball people. Yeah, it reminded me of that article uh, that came out on ESPN.com earlier this year with Keenan Middleton, the reliever, when he went to the Yankees. He ripped the White Sox culture. Among the things he he talked about was a guy fell asleep in the bullpen. And, and, you know, this is bad culture. And as soon as I read it, my thought was, well, you're in the bullpen. Wake him up. Exactly. Get it? It 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 must feel nice in the moment to sort of slam dunk on on a situation maybe you weren't fond of. But I, I think you got to think these things through better than uh, than Tommy did in this uh, in this situation. Because I can say this: this has landed hard within the Mets organization, yeah. and a lot of people are feeling hurt by it. Uh, so yeah. anyway, all right. I will see you in LA. Look forward to it. See you, Buster. This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, your parents must feel great. Their first pitches were better than Stephen A. <laughs> that was the first thing I said. Not just theirs, but also Matt's. Matt's on no sleep. Coming back from the NBA Finals, he works with Stephen A. And I was like, are you going to mention that next time you see him? So we'll see. But yes, I texted my mom and told her even hers was better. Booney with the great kind of pick, that catching background in the family. Even my mother, who had never thrown a baseball, nailed it in comparison. <laughs> All right. Well, that took place at Yankee Stadium last night, and Garrett Cole, it felt like, put a punctuation mark on his Cy Young case. It's over, yes? Unanimous selection? It feels like it is. I'm really happy for him. I mean, this is a guy who feels like should have won one by now. I feel like there are people out there who almost forget about that year that he and uh, Verlander finished one, too. Some people almost think he won that one. No disrespect to Verlander, but just a testament to how good his season was that year. So it feels like this is one of those guys who is going to win one at some point. I'm so glad it finally came. But my favorite moment of the night was seeing the Yes Network uh, cameras caught of him motioning to his youngest son, Everett, in the stand after the start. He was in there with his jacket, 
and he was in the dugout and he was kind of like uh, spelling something out and then he kind of pointed to him like you're my guy it was the most adorable thing I had ever seen <laughs> that's awesome and Garrett Cole <laughs> as we talked about you got to know him a little bit this year pretty cool and I think of uh, think of you every time I see him doing something great because I know how happy it uh, would make you alright let's play the numbers game number three Number three is 179. So we just discussed the AL Cy Young race. I think the NL is wrapped up as well. And Blake Snell wrapped it up going seven hitless innings on, what was that, Tuesday night. He's up to 179 strikeouts and just 19 runs allowed for his last 22 starts. So I believe it was last Friday. I had a small stat for you about, you know, strikeouts and runs allowed in a certain spam. This is the update. He is the first pitcher since at least 1901 with 160 strikeouts and fewer than 20 runs allowed in any 22-game spam. And again, it isn't just 160, it's 179. It's a 1.26 ERA. In that span, the only guy with an ERA that low in a single season, 22 start span since the mound was lower, is Jake Arrieta in 2015, who of course won the NL Cy Young Award. So very notable comparison. And you look at the Padres, you look at all the Cubs of plates, you look at all the Giants of plates, and you know, it's like that. You're telling me there's a chance. And so, if you're curious, the longest win streak to end this season, the Padres have won seven streak. They went out, it would be 16. That would set a record. The longest win streak to end this season is 15 games by the Yankees in 1960. I don't think it's going to happen, but you never know. And it feels like every external factor is kind of going their way right now. Number two. Number two is 25 and 50. So Corman Carroll the other day stole two bases, gets 24 home runs and 50 stolen bases, and then he had his 25th home run. So he was already the first rookie in MLB history with even 20 homers and 15 stolen bases. And now he has the 13th individual season in MLB history with at least 25 and 50. And of course, the first by a rookie. There are only three guys to have 25 and 50 in a season at age 23 or younger. Him, Hanley Ramirez, and Cesar Sandino in 1974 and 73. Number one. Number one is three. So we have to talk about the ALS. You know, I'm sitting here saying maybe the Padres will make the playoffs. Meanwhile, we have this super, super type race in the ALS where the Astros entering the weekend are leading the Mariners and the Rangers by half a game. So this is the first time since divisions began back in 1979. The three teams in the same division were all within 
half a game or fewer of first place and all had 10 games to play or fewer than that. So in non-stats terms, this is the closest race we have seen this late in the season. And all these teams are playing each other. So it's like, get your popcorn ready. It's going to be so, so exciting. And I'm really, really, uh, you know, excited to see how this turns out. But it's crazy that it's gotten to this point. Right. You know math better, better than I do, Sarah. Uh, but when I've been asked the question in recent days doing radio hits, okay, which of these teams are going to make the playoffs, I, I feel like the answer is easy. The steel cage match has got to happen between the Mariners and the Rangers. They play each other seven times in the last ten games. One of those teams is not making the playoffs. That seems pretty clear to me. Is it that clear or am I uh, overstating that? No, it feels that way, but it's interesting because to me, the Astros and Mariners are a cut above the Rangers and the Blue Jays, the way they play lately, at least. And I don't know. I mean, I would love to see all three teams in the playoffs from the ALS. Such a testament to what Bruce Bochy has done in that first season. I know the bullpen has struggled a ton, especially over the last month and a half, and I would love to see what they could do. I love seeing Corey Seager in the playoffs. He is such a beast there. We've seen that before. But I'm kind of feeling like they might be the odd team out there. But hey, we'll see. But I do agree math-wise. Head-to-head is probably going to take one of those two. Um, All right, Sarah. Have fun watching that this weekend. And I will talk to you. I think we, Taylor and I haven't talked to you, but I'm guessing we'll be doing a podcast again, taping on Sunday night. Does that sound okay? Awesome. Yes, that sounds perfect. Thank you. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world. You can go to his website, ToddRadom.com. Todd, how you doing? I'm good, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. Ready to throw you a curveball. I'm going to make you pick which team is going to be out in the American League wildcard race. You get the steel cage match between the Rangers and the Mariners starting the, this weekend. They have to play seven uh, games in the next uh, among their last ten. You got the Houston Astros leading by half game. You've got the Toronto Blue Jays. Which team is going to be out? Which three teams will be in? Wow, the dynamics of those two teams playing each other. You know, you get this this negating factor almost. Right, it's really hard. Right, I mean that, that's impossible. Um, uh, wow, I mean, but I kind of feel like it's going to be Texas. Okay. I kind of yeah, feel like it's kind of, but I don't feel really confident about saying that, Buster. Well, and I said to Sarah, I said, look, I don't know Matt the way she knows, but you assume that it's going to be two teams enter, one team leaves in these seven games in 10 days, yeah. right? Yeah, that's why I'm saying that. Yeah, well, there you go. And I guess the Rangers' uh, bullpen has been so beaten up. I think you're, you're probably, uh, your, your numbers match what Fangraphs is saying as well. Uh, all, all right. The numbers, Buster. Yeah. Exactly. Let's get to this week's Forgotten Field. All right, here we go. So, Buster, the baseball business was booming in the second decade of the 20th century. Eleven new concrete and steel ballparks were constructed during this era, and the last and largest of them was built on the site of the former Alston Golf Club. It was Braves Field in Boston, Massachusetts, just about a mile west of Fenway Park. 
fresh off a very unexpected 1914 World Series victory and flush with capital, Braves owner James E. Gaffney set out to build the ultimate ballpark for the dead ball era, a gigantic stadium that the Sporting News described as, quote, a veritable mountain of concrete and steel. How huge was it? 40,000 seats doesn't begin to tell the story. The original dimensions measured 402 feet down the foul lines and a mammoth 550 to deep center. How about that? It took 10 years and the introduction of a livelier baseball for the first home run to clear the left field wall. A 430-foot drive by New York Giants catcher Frank Poncho Snyder on May 28, 1925. Gaffney touted Braves Field as the world's greatest baseball park. It's also been called baseball's first super stadium, and it was the marvel of its age. The ballpark took only five months to build. Construction began on March 20th, 1915, and the grand opening took place on August 18th, with a reported 46,000 fans in attendance, the largest crowd to have seen a game up to that time. These fans could take a streetcar down Commonwealth Avenue directly into the ballpark, which had its own trolley stop that entered the right field pavilion. Interestingly, Buster, the ballpark hosted the World Series in both its first and second years, but the home team was not the Braves. It was Babe Ruth's Red Sox, who had vacated Fenway Park for these two fall classics in favor of the much larger Braves field. The stadium's huge dimensions proved to be a liability by the late 20s when Ruth was rewriting the record books and home runs were all the rage. The Braves drastically reduced the dimensions of the park on a, on a seemingly annual basis. They rotated the baseball diamond a few degrees clockwise too, finally placing the right field foul pole at a very cozy 319 feet. Despite all this, the Braves languished and were even rumored to be on the move to Montreal by the early to mid-1930s. The Great Depression hammered the ball club hard. They changed their name to the Boston Bees for a few seasons, and the ballpark was renamed the Beehive. Finally, the Braves departed Boston for Milwaukee in 1953. They sold the stadium to Boston University for $430,000. The wow. university converted it to Nickerson Field which became the first home of the Boston, now New England Patriots, who played football there from 1960 to 1962. Take the Green Line's B branch and go see baseball history, because parts of Braves Field still exist. The handsome Spanish mission-style pavilion still stands. It's now the BU police station. Go there and imagine the ghosts of a distant era when home runs were scarce and when Boston hosted two major league teams including a National League club at Braves Field, which is this week's Forgotten Field. I love this one. And you're wearing a, 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 your hat. Tell me about your hat that you're wearing as you do this. Because every week as you present these Forgotten Fields, you wear the hat of a team related. Oh, Buster, you are so astute. This is a 1999 Milwaukee Brewers hat. So Milwaukee, the Braves moved to Milwaukee. I don't have a Milwaukee yes. Braves hat. So I guess it's the mess, next best thing. Man. And so is there anything uh, at uh, at that site that, 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 you know, makes mention of the fact that this ballpark was there? There is a little alleyway that is uh, directly next to what was that, that, that pavilion, the BU uh, Police Department. And it's called Braves Field Way, I believe. 
So uh, oh, wow. I don't know. I don't know about you, but uh, every time, well, you probably don't. But anyway, anytime I'm driving into Boston and I'm on Route 90 and Fenway Park is going to be on your right before you hit Fenway Park from the west, you see that ticket office right off the uh, the Mass Pike. And I've walked around there. You and I need to do a road trip. We all need to do a road trip. We could do we could do our quiz from uh, from right in front of the main entrance of the 1915 and 1916 World Series. That sounds like fun. All right. <laughs> Before we get to this week's quiz, I do want to give you, because you, you know, if your uh, understanding of history and of marketing, let's talk about the expansion, uh, which in baseball, which looms now that it looks like we've got the Rays and A's ballpark situations close to being settled. And by the way, uh, we haven't talked in the podcast today about the phenomenal article that my colleague Tim Kuhn wrote about the oh. A's situation uh, I'm going to try to aim to have Tim on the podcast next week to talk about that because that was appalling. Yeah. Uh, it was to read some of the details. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Uh, but anyway, uh, the A's in all likelihood will wind up in Las Vegas. Uh, Tampa Bay is going to stay in a ballpark that uh, will be built next to the current site at the Trop. I said on the podcast the other day, like you can book it. Nashville is going to get one of the two teams. Todd, tell me what uh, what other cities do you feel like might have an edge up? Buster, I got to think that Salt Lake City, which came out of left field uh, several months ago with what seems like a very well-funded and civically connected uh, opportunity to uh, build a ballpark, revitalize a district, and bring MLB to Salt Lake City – a sleeper pick in certain respects, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, the family of Larry Miller, the late Larry Miller, who owned the Utah Jazz, again, very connected in that state, loaded with money, and they could probably get that job done with very little uh, investment from the public, which is such a big thing right now. We're seeing it all over the place. Montreal seems to have slipped back, unfortunately. Um, they really don't have a viable plan to build a ballpark. They really don't have the kind of uh, um, corporate uh, uh, corporate support in that community that you'd need to get this job done. Portland has slipped back. Portland, Oregon, they've had their their uh, share of um, you know of bad news. Let's just put it that way. And it really, I'm not sure that made sense um, to begin with. And then you've got, I don't know, a couple of other cities. But, yeah, Nashville is a slam dunk. And for me, Salt Lake City, bring it on, fills a void in terms of the time zone. The Rockies have always been, you know, kind of the uh, the team of that part of the world. Um, so there are really few barriers to entry from just the standpoint of, listen, you know, Nashville has its problems because Cincinnati is relatively close by, right? You've got media markets that overlap in certain instances. Wide open, wide open out in the uh, out in the mountains. So uh, bring Salt Lake City aboard. Yeah, and I do think Major League Baseball wants to have another franchise uh, out west, closer to Seattle. Seattle's kind of all by itself uh, in the Northwest, and you know, having a team in Salt Lake and Portland, I think will uh, will help them mitigate some of those concerns. All right, let's get to this week's quiz. We got Bruce stepping in here, Sarah. Not part of it this week, which is confusing to me because I had all kinds of Taylor Swift questions for Sarah <laughs> in the Bleacher tweets this week. I guess they might have to wait for next week. Todd, what do you got for this week's quiz? Week 28 here, guys. 2023 has brought forth a slew of MLB rules changes. So which one of these was never an official MLB rule? Is it A, the pitcher had to face a batter before pitching to him? Is it B? 
bat were required to be made from hickory wood? Was it C, nine balls were required for a walk? Or was it D, home plate could be made of marble or whitened rubber? Which of these was never an official MLB rule? The pitcher had to face the batter. Bats were required to be made from hickory wood, nine balls for a walk, or home plate could be made of marble or whitened rubber. Oh, my. Uh, Bruce, you want to start us off? I, I just have a feel. I'm going to go with the hickory wood. Okay. Taylor? Mm, I was feeling the hickory wood, too. Uh, I'll go... I'll go with the nine balls. Okay, I'm going to go with A, that a pitcher had to face a batter. Uh, We are scattered all over the map. There's zero confidence. I can see it in the face of Taylor and Bruce, and I can feel it within myself. Todd, what do you got? Bruce, a job well done. Because all the other things are true, but bats were never required to be made from hickory wood. So... Congratulations. Does this go on Sarah's record? How are we working? No, no, it's no, total it's, win. It's like some total win. We're not going with winning game? percentage because then Bruce would be in play, and I don't want that. <laughs> nah, give it to Sarah. I think we got to give it to Sarah. What? I'm happy to give it to Sarah. I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll be the so we need a reader I poll. I mean, I, I think on this. where's the Supreme Court when we need it? Oh, wait a second. We do have the chief executive of our weekly quiz, don't we? Well, I need to go into deliberations, I think. I don't think I can just issue this ruling <laughs> hot, your coming in hot. I don't think that can happen. I think we, we need an executive committee. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, we need nine justices to convene. Oh, no. Controversial as they are. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever the case, very well done, Bruce. Nine, nine, ball, nine balls for a walk. I mean, talk about game time. Man, uh, and I, I would have just guessed that that the pitcher facing the hitter would have been so obvious that no one bothered to put it down. That Ooh. was that was my that was in my equation. They had a they had to codify how you balk at some point, right? So, yeah. Louis Tion. Yes. Well, and maybe behind. I overthought it because we see in 2023, uh, Todd, that hitters have to make eye contact with pitchers and vice versa, right? So maybe I I I totally blew that one. All right. Thanks, Todd. All right, guys. Thanks. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 
93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dr. Glenn Plasek is the research director at the American Sports Medicine Institute. Uh, I know him as the right-hand man to Dr. James Andrews. That was the first time I talked with you, Glenn. Uh, was in a, I remember in a conference call with Dr. Andrews. Uh, and you pop into my head a lot in recent days and this year because of all these pitching injuries. First off, how you doing? I'm doing great. Um, yeah, life is good. Things are good personally and at ASMI, our research is going well. Life is good, yeah. Even though you're a Mets fan and they're sort of dealing with that this year, correct? Yeah. So maybe a little more concentrating on the science and less watching games on TV. Yes. All right. The reason why, uh, as I mentioned, that uh, I've, I've thought of my conversation with you and Dr. Andrews uh, years ago so much is about this barrage of injuries that we've seen in baseball. And as you know, there's been all kinds of theories thrown out about why this is happening uh, you know, including the 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 uh, implementation this year of the pitch clock. I, after you know, talking to you many years ago and talking to people in recent years, I, I think it's pretty clear for me. I think it's the sports chase for velocity that I see as potentially being the major reason. Tell me about your perspective because obviously that means a lot more than mine. Yeah, that that's exactly the answer I would give today. That's not the answer I would have given five years ago or 10 years ago, ten, five or 10 years ago, um, about 10 years ago, we started seeing a real rash of Tommy John injuries in pro baseball, major and minor leaguer buster. And, um, and at that point, I, I think the problem was, it was the first generation of kids, of pitchers who had been playing year round baseball. And, uh, you know, when I grew up, when you grew up, we played baseball in the spring and football in the fall or whatever. Um, but now kids of all sports, baseball, football, soccer, boys, girls, they play one sport year round. And 10 years ago, this was catching up to the kids that it was just too much. We have that more under control. There are more rules about how much you could pitch at amateur baseball. We have a website with Major League Baseball called pitchsmart.org. Uh, and uh, there are more rules in place to try to prevent the uh, overuse over the season. But things have changed, and and you're exactly right. The um, while that's under control a little better, this uh, chase for velocity, the love of the Raider gun, has really uh, blown up as a, as a as the number one risk factor. And and uh, on my Instagram recently last week, uh, I, I showed a, a chart of uh, velocity in Major League Baseball over the last 15 years. Uh, and um, number of injuries in pro baseball over the last 15 years, number of Tommy John injuries. And and I don't know if you saw it on my Instagram. Uh, yep. It almost looks like the same chart. And and, and so uh, scientifically, that's pretty strong correlation that uh, the injuries are going up with the velocity. And so what's happening, you know, I talk, so do you, Buster, I talk with the different teams. And the, the pro teams, the major league teams are – 
are looking for velocity in the pitchers. They're, they're much more interested in the guy throwing 95 miles per hour, regardless of his control, regardless of his mechanics, than the guy throwing 90 miles per hour with the low ERA, with the good mechanics, things like this. And uh, it's kind of blowing up in their face that these guys are coming up and they're throwing, they're, they're shining their star, getting too close to the sun and, and then they're uh, burning out because uh, uh, you can't, the body can't uh, do that, can't throw that maximum speed all the time without getting hurt. And so pro teams, college teams are doing that also. They're, they're just basically prioritizing velocity over everything else. And, uh, and, and it's just leading to so many injuries. Can you sort of uh, explain the, the reasons medically why that's taking place? Sure. Um, the Tommy John injury, which is what we're talking about in particular, is uh, the ulnar collateral ligament, which is this uh, little teeny ligament actually in the medial side of your elbow, which is medial side of your elbow, you can't see on the podcast, is the part of your elbow that touches your hip when you put your arm down to your side. And and uh, that little ligament uh, in daily life, whether you and I are putting away the dishes or, or, or whatever, uh, or running is fine. But during baseball pitching, it just really gets stretched out to its maximum load. And um, when you throw, it gets stressed, it gets tension on it. Um, throwing is natural. Throwing is a normal thing. Throwing 95 miles per hour, 75 times every five days is not a normal thing. Okay. So it's not a, that throwing is unnatural. It's that that level of stress is un, unnatural. And, and Buster, we did a study of pro pitchers in our biomechanics lab where we had uh, about 50 guys and we looked at their biomechanics of their faster throws versus their not as fast, just, just looking at fastballs. And there was a, a strong correlation, almost one-to-one, -one, the, the higher the velocity, the more torque on their elbow. Uh, we also looked at pitcher one versus pitcher two versus pitcher three. So we looked at correlations within a person and correlations between different people. And not to get too scientific, but uh, what this study showed was that in general, the faster pitchers had more torque. It wasn't always true, but in general, uh, because some guys have better mechanics than others. But within a person, for sure, your your max effort pitches are more stressful. So what that study shows is that the baseball pitcher who throws every pitch at max effort is stressing his elbow unreasonably. And the pitcher who wants to have a long career, who, you know, in the past, uh, those guys would sometimes uh, gear back for a little more, but not every throw would be full effort. Those were the guys who became the Hall of Famers. But nowadays, the mentality is too much to throw every throw at full effort. So more than the fact that, just as much as the fact that some guys are high velocity, it's, it's also the fact that every throw is max effort is part of the uh, problem, big part of the problem. All right, if I, if I were a, let's say I'm a fringe major league, or excuse me, fringe, you know, triple A major league, or I'm a 4A type pitcher, as is described in the industry, uh, and I throw 91, 92, and I'm thinking about training in the offseason to ramp up my velocity, but I come to you, Dr. Fleissig, to get feedback on that thought, what would you tell me? Yeah, sure. There, there are different ways to get there, first of all. Um, Okay, there are different ways to get there. The first thing I would do, Buster, is I would check your mechanics or your biomechanics. Um, 
just throwing harder with poor mechanics is not the recipe. The, the better thing is if you have bad mechanics, fix the flaws. And what good biomechanics are, we break it down with cameras and computers, and good biomechanics or good mechanics is using your whole body in a coordinated effort, not just throwing with your arm. So the first thing I would do if someone wants max greater velocity um, is I'd say, let's get you greater velocity, but using your whole body. So it's not, so it's most efficient and not overly stressing your arm. So I look at your um, mechanics. Um, other than that, there are other ways to get more velocity, uh, such as certain training, like weighted ball training. Uh, but these things come with the cost. There's some shortcuts don't always work. And so things like weighted ball throwing and long toss, they have a value in training, but when done correctly in a safe way, um, it's more, it's a better ticket for success than kind of going crazy and uh, just doing full effort, uh, weighted ball throwing all the time with poor mechanics. That would not work out well. So earlier this year, I, I told this story on the podcast. It was a game in which Chris Sale of the the Red Sox went out, and and I just having covered baseball for a long time, my initial thought was, oh my God, he's like launching himself into every throw. Uh, you know, his average fastball velocity at that point was like 91, 92. And in this particular game, he's thrown 97. And I said on the podcast the next day, like, I'm worried, like for him. And then he wound up having a sore shoulder, which didn't surprise me. I'm curious, and you know so much more about this than I do. Are there times when you're watching pitchers throw in the big leagues when you just cringe? Because uh, yes. you're seeing the mechanics and you have the knowledge that you do. Yeah. I, when I watch baseball games, I, I like to stop it and, and watch the pitching mechanics in slow motion. And uh, I, I, I can't by eye, by eye, I can't tell his good pitch, one guy's good pitch from his bad pitch or his high stress pitch from his low stress pitch. But I can tell one pitcher's mechanics versus another. Um, so I can't tell the subtleties between one pitch and another. But if, if Chris Sale or somebody, is pitching with wack, wacky mechanics. Uh, I do look at it um, by eye. Yeah, yeah. But I want to tell you what we do in biomechanics, though, uh, Buster, is you can't see some things by eye. And that's where the computers and cameras come in and the biomechanics knowledge. And uh, uh, how biomechanics works, as, as you know, is we put these reflective markers all on the body, like when they make the video games or, or, um, or special effects in movies. And then we uh, watch your full body with high-speed cameras and measure every motion. When did the hips rotate? When did the shoulders rotate? How much was the elbow angle? Things like that. All these uh, fine measurements are part of biomechanics, and we can really see if someone's good or bad. A cool thing that's been happening recently is I just said biomechanics traditionally has the markers on people, but this new technology that's being used in baseball um, that uh, without markers, essentially you could have the cameras record the baseball pitchers in games without markers obviously and the cameras and computers are smart enough now that we could really measure their mechanics and so uh, i'm going to jump in ahead and steal your next question <laughs> which is what can we do about this um and uh um so injuries are getting out of whack and pitchers are just throwing as hard as they can but i am encouraged about something that's happening, which is the majority of baseball teams, while they're still loving velocity, they're also uh, incorporating biomechanics. So uh, the majority of teams now have biomechanics equipment, 
biomechanics staff, at least one person. And they're trying to look at not just the radar gun, but also look at the mechanics. And it's because of this new technology where you could actually collect in-game data that uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that teams are going to get a grip on making sure the pitchers are using better mechanics. Yeah, I can remember my first conversation with you when uh, when we were talking about this, and you mentioned that you guys had done that uh, the testing on on different pitchers, and that Roger Clemens had scored very highly, you know, with his the 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 quality of his mechanics. I'm curious about: Do you get a lot more questions from as we've seen this wave of injuries happen? Do you get more questions from people within baseball about this whole phenomenon? Uh, about injuries, honestly, yes. uh, whether it's the major league team or the high school kid and his mom and dad, more of the questions are about performance and less, more than about performance than injury. People are not worried about injury until they have the injury. And um, the the teams really ask me more questions about performance, but they also do ask about injury. All right, so if someone wants to uh, check out your work or have questions uh, for you, what's the best way for folks to, uh, to reach out? Okay, well, uh, I'm having a lot of fun this year. I'm, I'm using Instagram more, and you can look at my name on Instagram, or my name there is the Biomechanical Man, and uh, so I'm posting things like velocity and, and pitching. Uh, also, our website is asmi.org. I got one more thing to tell you about, which is, um, uh, as I said, there's more biomechanists in baseball now, so we formed a society called the American Baseball Biomechanics society and that website is publicly available you can see what information is there that website is baseballbiomechanics.org and i'm really excited about that this we started this about three years ago trying to kind of um, form a society of all the biomechanists who are working at universities but also in pro baseball to try to kind of get on the same page to make the game as great as possible yeah and i suspect as time goes on you're going to hear more and more from teams about uh, about this. You mentioned that some teams have, have been diving into it. I suspect you're going to hear from more teams because it involves money, right? Yeah. And the teams yeah. are looking at some of their investments and trying to figure out how to, to maximize on those. Well, Dr. Fleisig, always great to catch up. Uh, I appreciate your time. I'm sure that uh, your comments are going to be eye-opening for a lot of fans. I hope so. It's great, great seeing you again, Buster. I'll, I'll see you uh, next time we get together in person. I look forward to that. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Friday. And uh, I got to say, Buster, the Angels, I understand. Why. Shohei Otani, he was annoying me, but I understand why he just packed up and left. Useless. Just giving up leads to the Rays. <laughs> so annoying. They lose in weird ways every game, it feels like. Man, a bitter Oriole fan coming out the top of the Bleacher uh, Tweets. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to get back to this, but let's put it on everyone's radar. Teddy Wilson, report by Wilson. Uh, writes in, how will you prevent Sarah Abbott from leaving the Baseball Tonight podcast for her obvious dream job? He sent a job listing with the Tennessean for a Taylor Swift reporter. And uh, Yeah, and I had questions uh, for Sarah about Taylor Swift because, you know, the, the question whether or not she's dating Travis Kelsey. I wanted to get her opinion on that. I know she's probably been all over Reddit, other sites looking for hard information. Maybe she's got sources close to Taylor Swift. Uh, I guess we'll have to leave that for next week. All right. Be good to each other, writes in. What does it say about the state of starting pitching uh, when the Dodgers are likely to start a dinged up Kershaw, two rookies, and a Lance Lynn and his uh, six ERA, yet they continue to win and no one is declaring them dead in the water? 
a great piece on ESPN.com today by Alden Gonzalez about the Dodgers and how they're going to try to figure it out. I think that's all nice in theory, but I think once you get to the postseason, they're going to really miss the starting pitching. And I don't think that they'll get through. Uh, they're, they're one of the elite teams that I will not be picking to win the World Series once we turn those in. Ampanoy13 writes in Otani to Seattle. Look at their record with Japanese players, plus Ichiro is in the team's front office and still works out before games. Yeah, I, I just refer back to what a general manager said to me a few months ago. Anybody who pretends to know to, to that uh, what Otani's thinking is full of crap. Brian Stone King writes, and I'm not going to make some ridiculous case for the Hall of Fame, but as it appears, his career is coming to a close. Can we get some appreciation for Brandon Crawford? Dude has been as smooth as they come at shortstop and has been a consummate pro for the Giants. And a lot of championship rings, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to hope that this Sunday night we're, we're aiming to get him on a headset, talk to him about his career, and ask him whether or not this is going to be it for him. He has been tremendous for the Giants. Uh, you know, he's someone who's going to be throwing out a lot of first pitches, Stephen A. And I bet <laughs> you he's going to do better than bouncing it, you know, 20 feet in front of home plate. Oh, my God. So good. The best thing to happen to the show today. P.K. Steinberg writes in on the cusp. Which of the on the cusp younger teams, Diamondbacks, Reds, Cubs, Marlins will contend the longest? And do they need to lock up players like the Braves did to do so? Yeah. Uh, and we've seen the Reds. They they signed Hunter Green, right? Uh, and I'm hoping that the Diamondbacks do. They signed Corbin Carroll. They've got some other talented young guys. I'm sure that they'll continue to do that because the Braves are a great model for other teams to follow couple expansion questions here. Ian KV writes and Buster on the subject of potential expansion cities. What about Vancouver? I live in Seattle, and one of the biggest series every year is when the Blue Jays come to town. A lot of those fans make the drive south across the Canadian border. Yeah, interesting option. Uh, I agree with Todd. I think Salt Lake is the place besides Nashville. Gnome writes in, if Major League Baseball expands to Nashville and Salt Lake, what happens to the AAA teams who are there? Nashville's ballpark is still under 10 years old and very nice. Yeah, uh, I they they would go away. Uh, you know, the territory would the territory the baseball territory would be owned by the team. I will say this is that maybe uh, you know Nashville will uh, the Nashville franchise would get like an affiliate, a AAA affiliate in Franklin or some mm-hmm. city that's near Nashville, and we've seen that work with the Braves, uh, the Orioles, and other clubs. Mr. Jakey, uh, we had a dialogue on Instagram here. It's in 600 million of public funds in Tampa, 800 million in Buffalo, 1.6 billion in Nashville for the new Titan Stadium. And John Fisher moves the A's because the officials don't want to give out public funding in California. Are billionaires holding cities hostages when it comes to building stadiums? Do I have the right to be furious? Is there anything that can be done? Or as Mike Wilbon likes to say, is the answer to every question simply money? An underrated wealthy team in the sport the San Francisco Giants because they privately funded their park. They bought up a lot of the real estate around the ballpark. They're making money hand over fist. Uh, I wish that happened more. Uh, I I don't think public funding is ever going away. What are the tight? I guess the Titans new stadium is like $2 billion, Mm -hmm. some kind of unbelievable amount of money coming from the government there. I think uh, if you're a billionaire and you don't want to put your own money into it, and governments have demonstrated they're willing to kick in money. Hey, you're going to take advantage of it. And Taylor, let's let's aim to get Tim Kuhn on the podcast next Wednesday. Talk about this great article he did on the A's. Absolutely. And I think Mr. Jakey will like to hear from him. Last one for yeah. the week. Pat Johnston, he, he just wants to know, is Nick Castellanos back? Yes. 
No, he's back. The Phillies back. are dangerous. Yes. That's why, you know, we, that's why we had it. Uh, we played that clip and had that conversation with Carl because the Phillies are dangerous. Double Nick Castellanos highlight day. Enjoy it, everyone. That's it for Bleacher Tweets for the week. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. While you're watching games, we're going to record on Sunday night. So we'll be back, uh, you know, a little bit earlier on, on Monday morning. All right. That's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Glenn Fleissig, to Carl, to Sarah, to Todd, Bruce, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.